0: chapter 32 this morning we are closing in on our on the end of this wonderful book I hope that it's been a blessing for you as much as it has been for me we have gone a long way with our friends the Israelites we met with them at Sinai where they received the law where the Lord came put into written form the relationship that he would have with his people. We watched as he organized them, putting himself at the center of all that they did. We watched as they went through the wilderness and he led them through those difficult things. We watched as he disciplined children who would rebel. We watched as they rejected him at of the promised land to go their own way out of fear and then as he told them that that generation would not go in we watched uh, the wandering for 40 years, we watched a new generation rise with its own set of problems and yet it was different that generation was different, they had a heart of repentance, they still made mistakes and we're going to see one of those mistakes today but they had a heart of repentance we have come a long way with this people and now we're Closing in on the end of this book and, you know, it's interesting. The book of Numbers really is a cliffhanger. You get to the end of the book and the whole book has been building up towards the promised land. It's been building up towards them going in. It's been, go, it's been building up towards God giving them finally and fulfilling the promise that he had given to Abraham so many generations before. And the book of Numbers ends on us revisiting the daughters of uh, Zephora. Uh, um, Sorry, I mispronounced that, but the daughters of the gentleman that we saw a few chapters ago and talking about land distribution again. That's That's how the book ends. It forces you to read on, forces you to read on through Deuteronomy and through Joshua to see God complete this task. But as we go through this, we come to another chapter here where we come and we look at the people of Israel, specifically two tribes, and it's easy for us to think, what are they doing? What are they doing? It's also easy to read this chapter and think, was that really so bad? But maybe more than any other chapter that we've read, we can identify with this one. We can identify with this one. Because it is a look at God's people when they decide to settle. When they decide to settle for something less. So if you would, let's read God's word together. We're going to read the beginning part of chapter 32 and then the first two verses of 33. So if you would stand that we can honor God's word this morning, then we'll do that together. Chapter 32, starting in verse 1, going through verse 7, says, Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw that the land of Jazir and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, Atroth, Dibon, Jazir, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Simba, Nebo, and beyond, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Flip over now to chapter 33. We're going to read the first two verses there. These are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and it is easy for us, it's easy for us to be distracted us to be distracted by a whole number of things. It's easy for us to get our priorities out of whack and to allow other things to jump ahead of you. It's easy for us to put you in a box and think that you only have this position and no other, that somehow that you don't care about the rest of our lives or somehow that you don't have say, but yet, Lord, as we look at this chapter, we're reminded, Father, that you Desire to be a part of our whole life, and that our whole life is yours. You paid for it with a price more precious than we could ever understand. Father, I ask this morning, Lord, that you would that you would speak to us, or that our hearts would be open, or that we would listen, and that we would apply it to our lives, or that we would be like the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, that we would instruction and we would not walk away from it, but that we would embrace it. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, as we get into what happened here with Reuben and Gad and Moses and then Moses giving us the testimony, we need to kind of remember what, what had happened up to this point. And I gave a little bit that of that in the introduction. But Reuben and Gad knew what had happened. They had, these, these guys, they were a new generation, but they weren't clueless. They knew that God had promised the promised land. They knew that he had walked with his people through the desert. They knew that he had uh, settled them in Moab, and they were just waiting for the go order to cross the Jordan and begin to conquer the land. They knew all of that. They knew what lay before them, and what lay before them was a war. What lay before them was a difficult thing. Now they knew that God was going to go with them. They had already experienced victories that he had done by them. They knew that he was in control, but they also knew that it's going to be a difficult thing. Just because God goes with them doesn't mean that every step of every day is going to be a picnic. And so they look around themselves. They look at Moab where they had been encamped for some time with the rest of the people of Israel, and they just realized, hey, we got it good here. We have it good here. We don't have to fight for anything more anymore. The battle has already been fought and won. We saw that in the chapter right before. Not only that, but this is good land for us. Like we're livestock guys, and this is good grazing place. This is going to be perfect. And so we see here, Gavin, Reuben and G- Gavin. Reuben and Gad check out. Reuben and Gad check out. They say, we're done. We, we have found our place in the world, and we're done. Go on without us. And it's easy, I think. I think it's easy for us when we read this chapter, especially when we read the beginning. We read the beginning of this chapter, and we think to ourselves, well, that just makes sense, right? Reuben and Gad, that those two tribes, they they were livestock guys. They saw good grazing land, and they went for it that that just makes sense in our mind. What what is the harm here? What we're going to see what we're going to see though in the rest of this chapter is that the harm is not in wanting the land. The land is not the problem. The things that we want in life, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, but the things that we want in life often are neutral. Money on its own as it lays there on the ground is neutral. It's not evil. A car is neutral. It's not evil in of it by itself. Technology is neutral in, of a, in and of itself. All of those things, a house, all of, all of those things are neutral. Now, they can be used for evil or they can be used for good, but in and of themselves, they have no ability to break a moral or ethical standard. And that is most of the things that we desire. So the problem is not in the thing. It's not in the item or the place. It is in the heart of the one who desires. It is the motives of the desire. And that is what Moses addresses here. Moses, Moses in chapter 6 begins to reveal to Reuben and to Gad and to us as the reader the real reason, the real thing that's going on here. And it's selfishness. It's just pure selfishness. He tells them first that you have not thought of others. You have not thought of the, of the rest of the tribe of Israel. He says there in verse 6, But Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? He says, Moses is saying, You have not thought of another person Why you've made this decision you know what's ahead you know it's going to be difficult and so you have chosen just to remove yourself from that situation so that you don't have to deal with it never thinking of who is going in your place never thinking of what they did for you we just saw in this previous chapter was it just reuben and gad who fought the midianites no tribe had sent a thousand of their own men for that victory. They had won the day. Not just Reuben and Gad, but Reuben and Gad wanted to take all of the land for themselves. They wanted to be done. They wanted to rest. They knew what was ahead and they just were decided. had decided that it wasn't for them. Moses says, you have not thought once about how this affects other people. You've not thought about how this will discourage them, he says. When you take away two of the tribes of Israel, can you imagine what that would have done the rest? Especially Reuben. Reuben was one of the four major tribes. He was one of the largest. And so you take him away from Israel, and can you imagine the rest of the, tri- the, rest of the nation? They're like, man, we're down. Like, this is a big blow. How, are we really going to be able to do this? Doubt begins to, to stream into their mind a little bit. Like, should we do this? And the next thing you know, then they're going to be thinking, well, Moab, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe Reuben has the right idea. There is some good spots here. Maybe we should just settle here. This will be fine. We don't have to fight anymore. And now Reuben has led all of his brothers a direction that he probably never even intended to do. That's the thing when we choose to be selfish and we choose to sin. Oftentimes it impacts others way that we never intended it to. Oftentimes it leads others down roads that we never intended them to go down. So they check out but Moses says, you haven't thought of others. Not only had they not thought of others, they had not thought of God's work. He says there in verse sorry, in verse 8, he says your fathers did this when they, when I sent them from K- Kadesh Barnea. To see the land. For they went up to the valley of Eschol, and they saw the land. They discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger, anger was kindled on that day. And then skip down to verse 14. And behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men. "...to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following Him, He will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all His people." He says, you haven't thought about the will of God here either, and you have become just like your fathers. Moses, when he heard this plan, must have been like, really, again? I I love the heart here of Moses, though. Moses is, a, Moses is a pastor. Moses is a shepherd. Because if you look in the chapter just before, God tells him, you're going to attack Midian, you're going to get rid of Midian, and then what? I'm going to gather you home. You're, you're, it's time for your shift to end. So the Midianites are defeated, and Moses has to be like, okay, I'm done. Like, I, I'm just going to back away smoothly now. The Lord's going to take me home. This is going to be good. And then Reuben and Gad show up right before that happens is like, "Hey, we got a problem here. We want to do this." And you know Moses has got to like be banging his head on the desk. Like, "Really?" Moses could have backed away. Moses could have said, "Joshua, this is your first problem. Congratulations. I'm hitting the road." Moses doesn't do that though. Moses doesn't do that. Moses comes to them and says, "You are just like your dads. You're just like the generation before you." This is going to cause a problem because you have not only not thought of others, but you have not thought of the work of God. You know the will of God. The will of God is for you to cross the Jordan and for you to have the promised land, for Israel to have a home that he has already built for them, that he has already prepared for them. You know that it's going to have its risk. You know it's going to have its dangers. That's why you're checking out, not because you found something better, but because you just don't want to do this. you are you are ignoring your brothers and you are ignoring the will of God when you check out when you look to yourself and think this is what's best for me rather than this is what's best it's a pretty strong tone and if you've read the book, rest of the book of Numbers and you've stayed with us these last several months then you know that this has the potential to go bad places, right? We have seen rebellion before, and this has potential to end in disaster. But it doesn't. It doesn't. This story ends on a good note. Because we see something here that we did not see in previous, the previous generation. We see repentance. We see repentance. Moses, again, confronts their sin. Moses confronts their sin he says you desiring this land in of itself is not bad but let me expose the motives here let me expose the reasons and the attitude that you have because you don't want it just because it's good grazing land you don't want it just because you think it's going to be what's best you want it because you want to check out because you want to walk away from the difficult. Because you're not thinking about others. Because you're not thinking about the will of God. He, he lays it on the line for them. And he doesn't really pull any punches. He tells them that they're going to end up being the destruction of Israel. When that happens in our life, when that happens in our life, what is our reaction? What happens when a brother or a sister and Christ comes to us and says, hey, I'm worried about you. Hey, I, I see this thing in your life and it's dangerous and I, I'm worried that it's going to lead to something worse. And, and man, let me, let me encourage you to change. What do we do when the Word of God speaks to something in our lives and we see it right there on the page and it's like, man, this is speaking to me but it's telling me that i got to do something different. What do we do when we hear a sermon that is difficult for us to hear? What do we do when we hear a sermon that challenges us not to be the same person anymore, but to be more like Him? Our human nature is to bow up and say, Get out of my face. Who are you to judge me? Have you ever heard that phrase? Who are you to judge me? Who are you to tell me what I'm doing wrong? Take the plank out of your own eye. That verse gets misused more than anything. We tend to bow up, don't we? Israel had done that. We see that numerous places where judgment comes from the Lord, where Moses delivers a harsh word, a word of of challenge to his people, and they say, Moses, who are you? Who are you to judge? Who are you to tell me what I'm doing wrong? you're just as you're just as sinful as I am that doesn't end well either for them but that's our reaction normally isn't it I had a friend of mine one time I'll I think I've shared this story quickly but when I was single I think I was about 28 29 all my other friends had married and uh, I was just kind of being I remember I was praying about this one particular girl and I asked one of my friends one of my very close friends if he would pray with me and whether I should pursue this relationship or not and he, he prayed with me he was a great guy he sat and he prayed with me and he, we got done praying and we stood up to leave and he said I gotta tell you something I said shoot and I'm thinking he's gonna give me advice or something he says what if, what if you're not supposed to be married what if this is not for you What if you're like what Paul says where it's better to remain single if you're able so that you can focus on the Lord? What if that's you? What if we need to pray for that? My reaction, well, let me say this. My desire at the point was to slug the young man. My desire was to give him a black eye and rip his wedding ring off his finger and throw it in his face. You don't know what it's I walked out of that room angrier than a hornet whose nest had been kicked over and I got about five feet from my car and realized that he was right and turned around and I had to ask for forgiveness and I had to say maybe you're right now once that happened uh, I was free he was right he was looking at what was best for me and it opened an incredible amount of doors for me to do ministry and for me to embrace being single and, and loving it to the point where that the first time I met the first time I met a little redhead in Madagascar I thought oh I'm glad she surrendered to the call that's great sure I'll drink your coffee that you thinks nasty absolutely and thought nothing more of her until the second time the sun was behind her head and her hair was blowing I thought maybe there's something here I missed. The Lord had a different plan. But at first I had to accept, I had to accept the Lord rebuking me. I had to accept him using a friend to do that. I had to accept that maybe my focus was on the wrong thing. Sometimes the Lord uses us for that. Sometimes the Lord uses your brother or sister to say, maybe you're looking at the wrong thing here. Maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes he uses his word. Sometimes he uses a sermon and a pastor. Moses confronts them on their sin, and though it is easy for them, it would have been easy for them to rile themselves up and to buck against the goats. Rather, Reuben and Gad see their error. They see their error. Moses delivers his rebuke. Moses delivers his warning to them. And in verse 16, they respond. They, it says that they came near to him. They didn't run away. They didn't send a messenger. They came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land, but we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. Reuben and Gad see their error. They see what Moses is talking about. And not only do they see what he's talking about, not only do they see in their own hearts that they had selfish desires, not not only do they see in their hearts that they had not thought about the rest of Israel, but they change their course. They They have a change of direction. They say, we'll go. It's not enough in repentance to recognize you're wrong. You have to do something about it. You have to change direction. In our household, Melissa and I have a saying that's kind of caught on with her extended family as well, but we have a saying that you're sorry, but you're not repentant. It gets said a lot during board games. You're sorry, you're sorry, but you are not repentant. You're sorry that you got caught. You're sorry that you did the wrong thing. You're sorry that you stabbed me in the back in Monopoly. Monopoly but you are not repentant you're not willing to change you're not willing to do something different that's repentance jesus or sorry in the new testament it wasn't jesus it's actually paul paul says there is guilt that leads to death and then there's repentance that leads to Reuben and Gad see their error, and then they do something about it. They say, we're going to leave our livestock here, we're going to leave our kids here, and we're going to go fight the fight that God has called us to. We're going to go to the war that God has called us to, and we will not come back until it is won. And guess what? They follow through. If you read through Joshua, uh, towards the end of Joshua, you actually see them come and say, hey, have we fulfilled our duty? And Joshua says, good job, go home. And they do. They're like, great, we're out of here. Notice, notice here, do they still get the land? Yeah. They still get to settle where they want to settle. Now that doesn't always happen. Okay, let's not let's not take this away that if you're obedient, you always get what you want. Let's be very careful with that. But in this case, because they repented, because they got their attitude straight, the problem was not the land. The problem was not where they wanted to build their home. The problem was, with their attitude and their desires for it and once those changed all of a sudden doors opened my my desire for a wife at one time in my life was not a bad thing in fact it, it was a good thing to desire that but my attitude towards it was completely wrong it was completely wrong and yet the Lord in his graces once I had changed my attitude, chose to open that door. But if he had not, it still would have been great. I love my wife. She's great. She's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. But if God had never opened that door, never brought her into my life, and I would have never married, guess what? I would have been living a really great life. It's not about the it's not about the accomplishments. It's not about the things. It's about our priorities and our direction. Who is our priority? What is our direction? It's a good story. It doesn't end with 40,000 people dying of the plague. Praise the Lord. It ends with a group of people saying, we were wrong. Let's fight the fight. And then we get to 33. Chapter 33 is an interesting one. And and when I first read these, I was like, why is this here? 33 is a testimony. It's actually called a military itinerary. It's called a military itinerary in the literary circles. And they are actually quite common. You would see these in Egypt. We found them in Egypt and Assyria. Different archaeologists have found these. They're very similar. They all say we started here, here, we went here, we went here, we went here, we went here. But it's a testimony. And when you read these two things, these two chapters together, at first you're like, why is this here? Wouldn't this have been better at the end of the book, as a wrap-up of all that had happened, rather than us ending with Moses talking to these daughters who want to make sure that they get their father's inheritance? That's an odd way to end a book. Wouldn't this have been a better way? I believe that God puts this here. He puts the testimony of Moses here. Because he is addressing one of the major issues that Reuben and Gad had. Reuben and Gad had fallen into selfishness. They had fallen into looking at themselves because they had forgotten all that God had done. They had forgotten the journey that had gotten them there. They had forgotten their own history. It's something that we are in danger of all the time of forgetting our own history, of forgetting the story of how God got us to this place. And so Moses is remembering for the sake of the people. Moses remembers, and he begins to write down all of these cities. And as we read through it, not very often, here and there, he tells us kind of what happened. But for the most place, it's this city to this city to this location to this location. And you're like, yeah, Moses is remembering places, but what does that matter? Places, man. You say a name of a place, and immediately it's going to have memories, right? I mean, some of you, I say Vandalia, and there's memories. It's home. Okay? You think about that. I say, Janus Chickenhead. I say Arizona, and there are memories, right? There are things. You don't have, I don't have to tell you every story. You know the stories. For some of you, I say Six Flags, and you're like, yeah, great memories. For me, I think not so much. Right, The place, all I have to do is say the name and you remember the good or the bad. That was the same way for Israel. Moses is remembering and he says the name of the city and they know instantly what he is talking about. And he does remember the good. Moses remembers the good. He tells them of different places. He starts with Egypt and he reminds them that God brought them out of slavery. He says, remember the power of God in deliverance. He reminds them of Sinai, where God formalized the relationship and said, I am yours and you are mine. He reminds them of places where he did miracles, whether it be the bringing of water or the bringing of food. He reminds them of places of great victory. He reminds them of the good things and the grace of God in them. We need those memories, don't we? We need to be reminded of our salvation. We need to be reminded of the places where God has produced for us and where He has blessed us beyond all measure. He reminds us of how He is with us, but He also remembers the bad. Moses remembers the bad. He names places of rebellion. He names places of turning back. He reminds them of places of judgment and discipline of God. It's a reminder in our lives that God just doesn't allow sin to go, but that he disciplines, and we should learn from those things and avoid it. One of of the best characteristics of my little sister was that she was able to watch a stupid older brother do stupid things and not repeat them. Lisa would watch me do things and go, yeah, not going to do that. Hence the reason that she is the perfect child my mom right now I'm not looking at her but she had this innate ability to watch and to observe and say I'm not going to do that now she made her own mistakes and went and did other things but she made sure not to repeat the mistakes that I made that's what Moses is doing here in part with the bad as well he is reminding Israel don't do the bad things don't do the bad things remember what disobedience does remember what it what it does when you challenge the authority of God, it doesn't end well. Avoid those things. Repent when it's needed. He's addressing what Reuben and Gad had forgotten. They had forgotten the journey that had got them there. And they were in danger. They came dangerously close to repeating it. Moses gives testimony and says, remember the journey. So what's the example for us? What's the example for us this morning? What do we need to remember as we walk out of this place? What is the Lord trying to say to our hearts? One, we need to remember that our sin impacts others. Our sin impacts others. You may do it in your home behind closed doors at the dead of night, but I promise you it has an impact on others. You may do it in the open and think that no one it doesn't harm anyone, but I promise it has an impact on others. Specifically, this morning, when we choose to check out of the ministry and the will of God in this church, it has ramifications on others. When we choose to say our priorities are this and that, rather than Him, it has ramifications on others when 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church, it is discouraging. It's discouraging. There's no other way to put that. It's disheartening to know that there are others here that could be helping. When we grieve, and only some of us are grieving, it's discouraging. When we celebrate, but not all of us are there to celebrate, it's discouraging. When we go to battle, we're not all fighting. It's discouraging. You may think, well, I, I go on Sunday mornings and I, I get fed, and, and that's good. And, and it is good. We want you here on a Sunday morning. We want you to hear the Word of God. We want you to be fed so you can go out in the week. But if you're not involved in the life of this church beyond that, know that it impacts us. Paul puts it in the terms of a body says, I'm not going to do the job of a hand anymore, that's a problem. If the ear says, I'm not going to do the job of an ear anymore, guess what? There's a problem. It has an impact. It has an impact. And we are facing a day when we can't afford to have folks just check out. We can't afford to have folks check out. We need you. We need others. We need you to encourage those that are home. We have a role of about 600 folks. We are not a 600. Whenever I look at that list, it breaks my heart. Where are we at? Where is FBC Vandalia at? Because according to that, 400 of us haven't darkened these doors in a long time. You can be a brother or sister of encouragement. Now, you may face some opposition. You may have some people throw it back in your face. Don't judge. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Hey, I haven't seen you. I love you. I miss you. What's going on? Sin impacts others. However, no matter what the sin, no matter how long you've been inactive, no longer how long that you've walked the wrong direction, here's the good news from this passage. Repentance is possible. It is never too late to turn around. Never too late to say, I don't want to go this way anymore. You can come to Christ and say, This is where I've been going. It's not the right path. I want to go your way. I don't want just what I think's best. I want to I want to do what I know is best, which is you. Repentance is always possible. It's possible this morning. It's possible this minute. So we need to remember that sin impacts others. We need to remember that repentance is possible. And we need to be testifying because testifying reminds us of God's grace on the hilltops. God's testifying reminds us of God's grace on the hilltops and in the potholes. We need to get better at this. We need to get better at telling our own story. Whether it's the story of this church, which by the way is really cool. If you ever get sit sit down and really read it and see some of the things that God has done here. It's a good story. Now it has its own potholes and it has its reminders of let's not do that again also has great rem- memories of wow, God really used us at this point. And he can do it again. We need to be doing it with our children. We need to be doing it with our grandchildren. We need to be remembering the story of our lives. Specifically we need to be remembering our salvation. To, to remind ourselves daily of the gospel and what he has done in our lives. When we have that, when we may have those memories, when we do that, is amazing how that changes our outlook. It's amazing how that vanquishes selfishness inside of us before it can take foot It's an amazing thing. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of response this morning. Because we believe here that when the Word is preached, when the Word is shared, when we hear it, that it's not something that we do just for entertainment, but rather it, the Word of God is there to change us. So this morning, I don't know how God has used the word in your heart this morning, but I know that he's using it. So I would just ask this morning, you respond. Maybe it's in repentance. Maybe it's in testifying uh, in song. Maybe it's in and making a commitment that I'm going to share my story with someone. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's coming to the altar. Maybe this morning you realize that I don't have a story of salvation. And this morning you would like to know more about that. You can ask any of us, we'll we'll point you in the right direction. But this morning, let's respond. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We're so thankful for the book of Numbers. We're so thankful for your word, Lord, that it speaks into things in our lives that we often would rather just ignore, things in our lives that we would often rather just not talk about. Father, I know in my own life, Lord, that that when you convict, that it is often a painful thing, that it is often a humiliating thing. Lord, that there are times, Lord, that I need to swallow my own pride. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us with that. Lord, that if there are those, and I know that there are, Lord, that there are those like me who, Lord, we need repentance. Lord, that you would you would make that possible. That you would help us to swallow our pride this morning, Lord, that we would just make a commitment to make you a priority, to make you the priority that we would go wherever you would lead us. Father, I pray for those here maybe that don't have that story of salvation to tell, Lord, that you would work in their hearts as well, Lord, that you would call their names, Lord, that you, they would know that you desire a